Let's talk about this sermon, the writing on the wall. I might have to go beyond 30 minutes. Preach. Oh, yeah. You don't care if I go to jail. Jail ministry. Brother Valentine, you'll come preach with me, won't you? I'm surprised they haven't locked you up. So if, uh, I don't know if you know your Bible, you know the story about the handwriting on the wall, right? And that's, that's where that expression came from. Oh, Daniel, remember Daniel? He's in, he's, this is during the Babylonian captivity. They were in captivity for 70 years. Daniel, the prophet, during the uh, captivity. And here's the thing. They were, they were drinking out of the cups that came from the temple in Jerusalem. And those cups were sacred. Say sacred with me. And they were desacralizing them. They were taking that which was sacred and using it for their own pleasure and their own entertainment. Uh -huh. They put their lives. He is the way. He is the, I said he is the way, not these other ways. He is the truth. Not this other truth that we're hearing preached. He is, uh, oh, Brother Valentine, you're getting, you're wearing on me. You're getting on me here. That spirit's getting on me. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no other life but the life that he gives us. If you abandon the life in him, you have no life. Come on now. So they were having a wild party. They were drinking out of it. They said, bring those, bring those beautiful chalices in here and those cups, and we're going to drink wine out of it, and we're just going to have a drunken orgy, and Daniel's there. And we go to Daniel chapter 5, uh, verse 5, and you, and you begin to see the story. They're in the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand. Can you imagine if, if all of a sudden a, you could see the fingers of a man's hand and the writing on the wall? Would anybody repent? Well, when I preach, you don't repent. <laughs> well, you're not writing on walls. Uh, get me a ladder. <laughs> All right, repent on the walls. Amen. I, uh, I mean, can you imagine? And I don't know how many hundreds and, or thousands are in that room. Wall, mm, right on the plaster and right on the wall, and the lampstands shining on it. Wow. Verse 22 uh, talks about this a little bit further. He says, but you, his son, Belshazzar, who's the king at that time, have not, you, you've not humbled your heart. Do you think that's the problem today? Everyone's full of themselves. You humbled your heart, although you knew all this. You knew better. I believe people today know better. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. This is, this is where we're at. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron. Come on. Hey, hey, I don't care what's going on. Follow the money. It's all about the money. Believe me. I don't care what they, how sanctimonious they act. It's all about the money. So on and so forth. He says, you know, God who holds your breath, God holds their breath in his hand and, and owns all your ways. You have not glorified. 
Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. And, and, and that translated as meaning God has numbered your kingdom are over. We're at a tipping point here, church. The days are numbered. And, and it's finished. Tickle in the balance and found wanting. I don't know if you remember when I preached about curses that God, God's waiting for the cup to be full. To go like this, judgment will come. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. I don't want to see this nation turn one else and the foundations being destroyed. But Daniel was prophesying this, the writing on the wall. But I believe today we're seeing some more writing on the wall. Daniel 7, verse 15, talks about the last days. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near, which is, ah, which is where I'm at. Anybody else? I mean, I'm just, who stood by. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and, and made me to know the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, and he talks about the beasts and the four kings rise out of the sea, so on and so forth. Let's, let's, I'm not going to get into whatever's next. <laughs> Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was made in favor of the saints. I believe there can be a judgment that will be made in favor of the saints. And by judgment, I mean like, 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 a, like a judge who makes his ruling. Have you ever been in a, in a court or watched it on TV when the judge says, this is my ruling? Nobody argues with the judge. It's done. When God makes his judgment, it will be done. And we need a judgment in favor of the saints. There have been too many laws passed against the saints, against the church, but there's coming a judgment that's going to be for the saints. Hallelujah. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Wow, praise God, praise God. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. By the way, we're at the fourth beast. We're at the fourth kingdom, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. Shall devour the whole earth, trample it, break it in pieces. Okay. He shall speak pompous words, and listen, and shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Do you know... Listen, we don't have a priesthood anymore. We have lawyers. Lawyers are the new priesthood. They're in charge. In the Old Testament, Israel was in charge of their own nation. Who's in charge of ours? It's actually the lawyers. Because they're making the laws. And they're changing the laws. And he shall intend, listen, to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given to his hand for a time and times and half a time, probably referring to the tribulation. But the court shall be seated. I want to say something now, but I'm going to save it to the end. The court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it 
forever. A couple more verses. Stay with me. Then the kingdom and dominion, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Wow. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. I told you January 1st there was a darkness coming this year. I told you that. We knew nothing about the virus then. We knew nothing about how our lives would be totally changed. None of us in our wildest imagination thought that we would have to come to church with masks on, that we, that we would be distant like this, that we had to stay away from each other. That's a pretty good trick of the devil to keep us apart. <laughs> Because the power is in our assembly. Y'all aren't listening to me. I said the power is in our assembly. So if the devil can destroy our assembly. I, I saw a guy on TV. Where was that? In Idaho. They were outside, socially distant. They were singing praises to God. And because this guy wasn't wearing a mask, they put a Christian pastor in handcuffs and took him to jail. There's something demonic going on here. Something demonic going on here. These are the last days. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That defines everything we're dealing with. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet? And sweet friend right there. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. I'll give you some scripture. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Are you getting this? Listen, I know you're not going to shout and run the aisles this morning. It's not that kind of message. I would, I would love to preach something else. <laughs> you know this is not up my alley. You know I'm not a conceit theorist. You know I don't get weird about this stuff. But I believe this is what God is saying to us. Not just this country, but I believe. I said it then. Let's get into this. That 9-11 was a warning. And I said then, if it was a warning, what's going to happen if we don't obey the warning? It's interesting that Israel, when they, before they went into captivity, okay, there were two attacks. The first one was much earlier. It was years earlier. And that one didn't destroy the temple. It didn't destroy a lot, but they took some into captivity. It was a minor attack. But God warned them, if you don't repent, I'm going to send something much worse to get your attention. And by the way, listen, God sends judgment not to kill off everyone. He sends judgment so that we can repent and find mercy. The judgment is 
for our correction. So they prophesied for years, and they said, and Jeremiah's the prophet before, before they finally came in, and they, you know, they tore the temple down, this beautiful, some say it was one of the seven wonders of the world, ancient world, and they tore it down, destroyed the walls, destroyed Jerusalem, took people off into captivity. Daniel's with them. Jeremiah got to stay in Jerusalem, which is no picnic either because it was all wrecked. But Daniel then is in Babylon. They're there for 70 years. But it's interesting that from the first attack against Israel to the second attack was exactly 19 years. And it's been exactly 19 years since the first attack and the coronavirus. And corona means crown. This is the crown. This is a key moment. This is the crowning moment where this nation needs to decide which way it's, it's going to go. Are we going to serve the Lord? Or are we going to abandon the foundations? Let me give you some examples of what's going on here. There's, there was a tree. How many remember at 9-11 there was that church, St. Paul's? There was that church that wasn't wrecked. It was right there at the bottom of, right, right there by 9-11. But the church wasn't wrecked because it was protected by that sycamore tree. It was protected. And somehow, everyone's like, how did this church, because everything around it's destroyed, the church is still standing there. It's the same church where George Washington was inaugurated as our first president. It's the church where they had like a two-hour prayer meeting. Yes, George and the founding fathers are praying for two hours. And, and I've got a quote uh, from George there that day. But on that day, they swore an oath that America would always be founded on Judeo-Christian principles. They swore an oath on that day. America and Israel are the only two nations in the history of the world that are founded on a religion. All other nations later became some certain religion or many religions, but we're the only ones that have ever been. We're the new Israel. <laughs> judgment came to Israel. Judgment could come to America. We're not exempt. When you dedicate something to God, it's God's. And that's why, he came, that's why the writing came on the wall, because they took what was God and secularized it and polluted it and used it for their own purposes and their own entertainment and their own ideology. Sound familiar? That tree was 60 years old, a sycamore tree, was, was completely destroyed. They had to dig it up. They got it out. And they said, we're going to replace it with another tree. And by the way, they said, we're going to rebuild. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with rebuilding, but when God, when God used the crumbling of the building as a judgment and you fly in the face of that and say, I'm going to rebuild, you're in trouble. The key scripture here is Isaiah chapter 9. And especially verse 11, 9, 11. Just thought I'd mention that. But here's what they said when their trees were destroyed 
And, and that, that first attack happened. Well, listen to what they said. We'll rebuild them bigger and finer. In fact, on 9-11, the president, not the president, but somebody in Congress actually quoted this scripture, not realizing that this scripture condemned them for doing it. Duh. Read the context, right? They quoted this scripture. We're going to rebuild bigger and finer. God says, you do that, I'm going to knock it down again. If our forests are cut down, we'll replant them with finer trees. In fact, well, let's go on. So God inclined their adversaries, uh, incited their adversaries against him, stirred up their enemies to attack from the east. Arameans from the west, Philistines. How many know this virus came at us from both coasts? They made hash of Israel. But even after that, he was still angry, his fist still raised, ready to hit them again. But it says, I believe it's in the King James, he said, they tore down our sycamore trees, quote, but we will replace them with cedar. They brought in botanical people, tried to figure it out every year. It just kept getting worse. And worse, limbs kept dying on it. They couldn't. They said, there's no reason for this tree to be dying. There's nothing in the soil. There's nothing here. They examined it because they didn't want their tree of hope to die. They called it the tree of hope. Listen, church, we don't need a tree of hope. We need the tree of life. <laughs> so the tree of hope kept dying, and, and they planted some shrubs around it. There was a line of shrubs, and the shrubs that, are the, that were the closest to the trees, they started dying. And every shrub that was close to the tree of hope died. And they kept trying to replace and they kept trying to fix it, kept trying to fix it. And they finally, in I think it was August of, yeah, August of 2014, they finally just quietly. You can't defy God. God. Here's what George Washington said on that day, just one thing. He said, the propitious smiles of heaven, smiles of heaven, cannot be expected on a country that disregards the eternal rules and right that heaven itself hath ordained. We can't expect God to smile on us anymore. Henry Hudson, he was first done, 1611. He, he sails into the port on his he sailed into the harbor and discovered, I put that in quotes because the Indians kind of knew where it was, <clears throat> but he, he discovered New York. And the day he came into the harbor was in 1611, 9-11. 9-11, 9-11, 16-11. So they were going to celebrate the anniversary. So they made a replica of Henry's ship. And they sailed it into the harbor to celebrate the anniversary of when he set foot and dedicated, and he dedicated this nation to God. Guess what day it was that this replica of the ship, once again, I mean, this is weird, this is weird. As the towers were falling, that replica of his ship was sailing into the Hudson Bay. And the date was 
do 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 do. I, I, there's, 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 there, there's so many of these things. You know, the Bible talks about, about the gates. He said you got to guard the gates. The Bible talks about putting, putting people in the watchtowers, right? The Bible talks about having a wall. Amen. Well, listen, New York City is the gateway to America, and the gates were invaded, and the towers came down. And the wall is the, is the army, it's the military, it's the wall, that's the Pentagon. By the way, the first, the, 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 they broke ground for the Pentagon in 1941 on 9-11. Just a coincidence. So God brought, broke open the gate, took down the towers, and crashed into the walls. And we're not paying attention. So how did all this happen? You're still, you're still with me? So what, what's, because it, it, this didn't happen overnight. Remember I said that the cup is getting filled up. It all started what? Back in the 60s when we took prayer out of schools. And we took prayer out of government. Now, I believe in the separation of church and state. I really do. In other words, hey, state, stay out of my church. That's what the founders meant. They didn't mean to keep church out of state. They meant to keep state out of church. (laughs) But they're calling good bad and sour sweet. They've reversed this whole thing very cleverly. But soon after that, the next thing, that the next shoe to drop was abortion. 1973. 1973. Listen, there's nothing that, read the Old Testament, nothing being taken advantage of. There's nothing that angers God. There's nothing like the spilling of blood that, hello, Cain and Abel. Nothing like the spilling of blood, Abel's blood. It said that the ground was crying. How much is the ground? You talk about, you talk about green. Uh, the earth is full of blood, Yeah. The earth is crying out because since that ruling, 60 million babies have been aborted just in the United States. Worldwide, 1 billion. The whole earth population is, I don't think it's yet set. You don't think the blood of these unborn isn't rising to heaven? I want you, there's scripture here, but I won't take, I don't take time. Jeremiah talked, Jeremiah warned them and warned them and warned them. But you know what happened? The very day, the very day before the Babylonians destroyed the city, the day before they were offering children in sacrifice, they were burning them on the altar, and God said, enough. When you start messing with kids, and it's not just abortion, isn't it? Trafficking. It's the dumbing down of laws against this. This listen, it's go, it's going to just keep dumbing down, and and everything's going to keep. But this is bringing the wrath of God, and they call it harvesting these young girls. Before that, because 
before the Supreme Court said that it was okay, the first state to say it was okay was first. It's the return. So this has been restoration. So this, it's been 50 years since that first judgment. It's also interesting that, that the, they went over a two-day period to make this decision. just talking about New York City, but the whole state. They made this decision. I think it was in April sometime. It was a two-day deal, two deal, two deal. And those two days, I don't know if you remember, I think it was back in April where they said that it peaked, it peaked, you know, and, and they said there were two days, those were the worst days, and they said those, the 14th and 15th or something like that, I don't know, you can look it up, but whatever those two days were, those were the exact same two days where they made this decision and passed the law to start abortion in New York State, and that was the worst day of the virus. Just a coincidence. <laughs> hey, isn't it interesting that they say that young people uh, are, are, you know, the chances of you dying from this are like that the generation that passed this law is a generation. And, and it has nothing to do with individuals because it, it, it rained everybody. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying you're personally responsible. But my generation passed that law. And now my generation is the one that's dying, what I'm saying. Why is it that every time God is about to do something, it's the children that suffer? Hello, Herod. Hello, Moses. But I think the shoe really began to fall, and I felt this. I've Back in 2015, just before that, I promise you almost any politician your side was against marriage being redefined. Can I put it like that? But all of a sudden, from the very top to the bottom, suddenly people started coming out and saying, I'm for this, I'm for this, I'm for this. And I'm like, I mean, every week there was another one. Remember that back in 2015? Boom, boom. People that were dead against it, all of a sudden they're for it. Boom, boom, boom. They start coming out for it early, right after 9-11. Boom, boom, boom. Here it comes after, but a few years after. And they began to turn. And I said, my God, what's happening? This is not just a, this is a movement. Something's changing America here. Something's happening. They're, they're redefining marriage. They say, well, why is that a big deal? Because it's sacred. Because God made it. And we're drinking out of his cups. And we're polluting his, his definition of what a family is. We're drinking out of the cups and the handwriting is on the wall. Into captivity was the ninth of Tammuz. In fact, a lot of bad things happened in Israel's history on that day. If I were a Jew, I would sleep through the day. Because a lot of bad things happen on that day. In fact, on that day, they just weep and repent and sorrow because a lot of bad things happen then. But that was the worst. They went into captivity on the 9th of Tammuz, on their calendar. You understand? They have a different calendar. Emperor Constantine was the one who changed the calendar. We're on, what, a Gregorian calendar now, Roman calendar. So the 9th of Tammuz is when Israel fell. Does anyone know when the Supreme Court 
ruled on this. On the Jewish calendar, it was the 9th of Tammuz. The 9th of Tammuz is the day that they sacrificed children on the altar. And God said, enough. And on the 9th of Tammuz, June 20th, marriage is. And it's affected the family. It has destroyed the family. And I don't, I don't need to get into it. Y'all, y'all know, single moms, is, it's not that you don't have any hope because you got Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll, I'll, be, a, I'll be a father to them. And there's fathers in the church, and we can help. And, and there, there's, a, there's some amazing single moms that have raised kids. But there's, there is a really, a really bad trend going on in our society today that, 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 when you, when, that children that are raised without fathers don't do well. Can I read this? This is from a speech that was given on Father's Day by one of our former presidents. and he's, In fact, he's still alive. But he says, if we are honest with ourselves, we'll admit that too many fathers also are missing, missing from too many lives and too many homes. They have abandoned their responsibilities, acting like boys instead of men. And the foundations, that's what happened, the foundations being ripped up. The foundation of our families are weaker because of it. You and I know how true it is in the African-American community. We know that more than half of all black children live in... It's worse now. A number that has doubled, doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five, five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They are more likely to have behavioral problems, run away from home, become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. How many times in the last year has this city, talking about Chicago, lost a child at the hands of another child? How many times have our hearts stopped in the middle of the night with the sounds of a gunshot or siren? How many teenagers have been seen hanging around on street corners when they should be sitting in a classroom? How many are sitting in prison when they should be working or at least looking for a job? How many in this generation are willing to lose, willing to lose their poverty or violence or addiction have, have lost? He says, yes, we need more cops in the street. Yes, we need fewer guns in the hands of people who shouldn't have them. Yes, we need more money for our schools and more outstanding teachers in the classroom and more after-school programs for our children. Yes, we need more jobs, more job training, more opportunities in our communities, but we also need families to raise our children. It doesn't take a village. It takes a family. Yes, we need fewer guns in the hands. I'm sorry. Uh, we need fathers to realize that their response, that responsibility does not end at conception. We need to realize that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child. It's the courage to raise one. We need our families back. We need our dads back. We need our homes intact. Talking about the family is the foundation. Fatherlessness is the core problem being destroyed in our nation. And I'm telling you, we're at a tipping point. You know, which state got hit hardest? By far. Ours are. It's where our nation was first dedicated to God. How many know if you make a vow to God, you really ought to keep it? Because He'll hold you to it. He'll hold you to it. I want to